Our Lord comes. You know, when uh, I came in this morning and Pat was playing that Vern Stromberg um, song, so many of his songs sound so much alike. You can, almost, you can always tell a Vern Stromberg song. And uh, I'm glad that, that Marge have kept those over the years. Very few remember Vern Stromberg. I used to go to a Grace Gospel Fellowship Conference and Vern Stromberg would be playing. And he, Vern Stromberg was the GGF's uh, Anthony Berger. If you're familiar with Anthony Berger that plays in all the Gaither uh, concerts and programs they're used to, uh, they're both with the Lord now. But uh, Vern Stromberg was deeply loved and appreciated and ministered uh, to all of us grace believers for so many, many years. Um, so we praise God that we have some of that music, and Pat has promised Marge that he's going to be playing so much more of it, and I, I think you're going you're gonna to appreciate uh, the musical talent of Vern Stromberg. And it's not just music. There's tremendous message to his music, and so we're going to be learning some of those, those songs also. I heard a story about a father who recommended to his son that he put his paycheck into a certain bank. The father recommended this bank to his, his son, and sure enough, his son put his paycheck in this bank. And it wasn't long until the son came home, and he was upset with his dad. And he told his dad he was upset with him. And his dad said, why? What's the matter? And he said, well, you recommended that bank to me. And the father said, but son, that's one of the biggest, strongest, uh, the most secure banks in our city. He said, nevertheless, you recommended that bank to me. And he said, they couldn't even cash one of my checks. His father said, what are you talking about? And he said, I wrote a check, and it came back to me saying, insufficient funds. I can't trust that bank. Silly boy. Don't you know that that had nothing to do with the bank's strength? It had to do with the fact that you did not have money in the bank. It was insufficient funds because you didn't have sufficient funds. You bounced a check, kid. That's what was going on. But that is how a lot of folks approach their spiritual indebtedness. In the same manner, thinking that they can write a check off of their good works account and I guarantee you, it's going to bounce on that day. It's going to be lacking in funds when you stand before the Lord Jesus. If you're thinking that your account, based on your good works, is going to cover the debt that you owed. It'll always come back insufficient funds. As a matter of fact, your good works account can't even begin to pay the interest on the debt that you owe. But fortunately for us, fortunately for us, folks, that debt has been paid in full by the one whose account will never show insufficient funds. The blood of Christ will never cause an insufficient balance. You can always trust in first cross and savings. You talk about a blood bank. That's exactly where we hold our funds. At first cross and savings, we'll never ever bounce a check. And when you stand before the Lord Jesus, that debt will be paid in full. It will be all sufficient. As a matter of fact, that's how I know that I'm saved. 
I guarantee you, if me standing before the Lord was going to be based on my account ledger, there would be absolutely no assurance, there would absolutely be no salvation, but because my salvation is completely dependent, completely settled because of his finished work, then I know that I have that security. I know that the account has been settled, and it's not a question of not having sufficient funds to pay that debt. As I mentioned once before, you'd owed a debt you could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and verse 14 speak to this sufficient funds to pay our indebtedness. The wages of sin, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the only reason that God the Father can give us this gift is because of what Christ accomplished at the cross. He was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. Look at verse 13, Colossians chapter 2. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened or made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Look at verse 14. Wow, what a truth this is. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. That debt you owed, that insufficient account that you possessed, those sins that you had committed can all be declared paid in full because of what Christ accomplished on Calvary's cross. You can have your debt forgiven. You can have your account cleared because of what Christ did on the cross. And God the Father recognizes that work of His only begotten Son. God the Father recognizes the work of God the Son on the cross as payment in full. The spotless Lamb of God. And the one epistle, well, not just the one, but one epistle that demonstrates this so vividly is the book of Philemon. Turn to the book of Philemon. I preached on this years ago. And it's worth repeating or going back to. As we take a look at the book of Philemon. It's worth repeating especially in view of the diabolical and evil philosophy that seems to be circulating, that seems to be it is, circulating through all the universities, through all the colleges, through the mainstream media, unfortunately through even some mainstream churches. But there is a philosophy or a fungus, you can call it whichever you want, a mold that's growing that's called critical race theory. Have you heard about this? Critical race theory? Critical race theory is at, at the heart of the critical race theory is anger, malice, jealousy. It's, it's a philosophy basically to keep things stirred up. What it really is, it just, it's the old Marxist class struggle that's been pulled out of the cabinet, brushed off, blown off, and they've given it a new name. Where 
the Marxist class struggle has to do with economics, actually. The critical race theory has to do with more with morality. The bottom line is, the critical race theory states that there are oppressors and there are the oppressed. So you're either an oppressor, shame on you, or you're part of the oppressed. And how do you know the difference? And this is not me saying it. This is those that are proposing, those who are uh, uh, proponents of the critical race theory. How do you know if you're one or the other? See, under Marxism, it's exploiters and the exploited. Well, they've just narrowed it down to the oppressor and the oppressed. If you are a white male heterosexual, you are the oppressor. If you're anything else, you're, you're the oppressed. Now, doesn't do you any good, white heterosexual male, to say, but wait, 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 I'm not, doesn't do you any good. You're guilty. You're guilty because they say you're guilty. And you need to be ashamed of yourself. And you need to change your ways and no longer be a white male heterosexual. Because if you are, you're an oppressor. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. I resent that. But there's only one cure for that philosophy. Now, every one of us, when, when we hear that type of foolishness, but that foolishness is popping up in, in corporations and in their uh, uh, identity uh, whatever you call that. All, in, in, in colleges, the universities, in corporations, uh, you, you have to take tr training and you, they have to educate you and you've got to change your way of thinking and, and you, you've got to apologize for everything. And there's only one cure for arguing against it because there, there's no other argument because you can't apologize, you can't change what they say is the problem. There's nothing you can do about it. I can never change the fact that I'm a white male heterosexual. Can't change that. Won't change that. But how is the world going to see it's different is that philosophy just creeps and grows. You ever saw the movie The Blob? When I was a kid, I, I saw, that was one of the first scary movies I ever saw, and it scared me to death. That old blob that just went through and just, it, 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 it took over everything. That's what this is. The only answer, and folks, we have the answer. We have the answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in the book of Philemon, we're going to see that demonstrated. When people come and they th start throwing this critical race theory garbage at you, you just say, Philemon? And they're going to go, what? Philemon? Will you explain that? Sure will, be glad to. Because in the book of Philemon, you have a supposedly oppressor and someone who was oppressed. And by the time the book of Philemon is done, you're seeing changes that could only have been brought about by the true God of heaven. You see a slave that went from being a, 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 a slave, someone who was a slave, to a trusted brother in Christ. In the book of Philemon, we're introduced to a wealthy slaveholder who was changed into an encourager of the saints. We see in the book of Philemon what God expects. And what a glorious story it is. Where else in the history of the world can we see such a, a change? 
condition of fallen man completely go from being a slave to a trusted brother. When we studied the book of Philemon years ago, as we were going through Christ of the book, we discovered that in the book of Philemon, Christ is the substitute. Christ is the account payer. In the book of Philemon, Christ is the equalizer. He is the one that makes all things right. It's a short book. The book of Philemon only has 25 verses. 334 words in the book of Philemon. It's a short book, but it's a phenomenal picture of forgiveness, of accountability, and of restoration. It's the perfect picture of debt owed, debt paid. And if this individual owes you anything, put it on my account and I will pay what we have in the book of Philemon. Critics in the 19th century, they question the authenticity of the book of Philemon. Ah, Paul didn't write that. That shouldn't even be there. But see, back in the 19th century, they were looking for things to disagree with anyway when it came to the Scriptures. They couldn't have been more wrong. There's no doctrinal truths. What? There that's, it's not Pauline, there's no doctrinal truths. I'm telling you, it's one of the most powerful doctrinal truths found in the Scripture. Matter of fact, it goes right along with what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12. Look at 1 Corinthians 12 with me. Verse 13. Folks, and here's the answer to all the social ills to society, and the church has the answer. We have the answer from the Scripture. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. Boy, may, may you understand this. May you grasp this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be slaves or free, and have all been made to drink of one Spirit. Whether you be Jews or Gentiles, whether you be slaves or free, you are one in Christ. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Paul continued this truth. Galatians chapter 3, look at verse 26, 27, and 28. For we are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you has, have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Look at verse 30, or 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek or Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You, want, you talk about an equalizer. You want to talk about making things equal in the body of Christ. You are one in Him. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. You know what God's Word tells us? It teaches us there's only one race. There's only one race. It's the human race. Did you hear me? There's only one race. That's, a hu that's the human race. And you want to be equal, you don't try to live and exist outside in a world that loves to cause division and hatred and bitterness and controversy. You leave that world and you become part of the world that, in that is the body of Christ where we love one another, we serve one another. That's where we are equal. In the body of Christ, it, there is not male nor female. There is not slave. There is not free. 
we're equal in the body of Christ. And basically, that's the lesson of the book of Philemon. Turn with me to Philemon. First verse. I would say first chapter, but since there's only one, Philemon chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. You realize he never called himself a prisoner of Rome. Every time he talked about him being a prisoner, he was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. It didn't really matter if he was behind bars or held captive by Roman guards. He was, he was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. It was God who held him captive. It was God that he served. And he acknowledged that. He was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Oh, that we may all see ourselves that way. Oh, Lord, you have us captivated. We belong to you in our going out, in our coming in, in our worship, and in our work, and in everything we do. May we do it for your glory. That's what the Scriptures teach. And Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. Now, Philemon was a wealthy individual from Colossae. He lives in Colossae. And this letter that was going to Philemon was to accompany another letter that Paul had sent. It was uh, the, uh, the epistle that we call Colossians. That letter that went to Colossae, that amazing, wonderful, doctrinally filled letter to Colossae was accompanying this letter. He sent that letter to the church there in Colossae, and evidently that church was in Philemon's house. But he also sent this letter to Philemon because there were some points he wanted to make. Now, Philemon was rich, wealthy, uh, and he owned slaves. And I think this is Paul's way of correcting that error. That was, it was the culture of the time, and the Bible did not condone that. It, and it does not condemn it outright. But if it weren't for the Scriptures, if it wasn't for the church, who knows what the wickedness of man would have continued to bring about. But Philemon was a slave owner. And there's no mistaking what he tells Philemon and all the others there at that church to do in the book of Colossians. Look at Colossians chapter 4. Look at Colossians chapter 4, verse 1. Now remember, Philemon is at this church. He's going to read this letter. This letter is going to accompany, accompany one that he's sending directly to Philemon on this. Colossians chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Philemon, did you hear that? Point was made. See, Paul also told the church in Colossae, you read the church that I sent to, to those in Ephesus. And Paul goes into the same thing about how to treat your workers, those that you are responsible for. Masters, given to your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you also have a master in heaven, and you are going to be held responsible by God how you treat those who work with you. Look at verse 9. Let's start with verse 7. In all my state shall Tychicus declare unto you who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. Verse 9. We're introduced to somebody here. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, 
who is one of you. Who was Onesimus? He was a runaway slave. Who owned Onesimus? Philemon. You don't think the Holy Spirit was at work here? Do you don't think that the clarification and the, and the purpose of God was being carried out here? He is talking about this runaway slave who came to know the Lord Jesus Christ the way we all do, or we all did, miraculously. When we heard the gospel and we trusted and we believed and we became a member of the body of Christ. He was sending Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They shall make known unto you all things which are done here. So this letter to Philemon was going along with that letter to the church in Colossae. And he told that, church, that whole church, Onesimus is coming. See, and I read that and I wonder if they went, wait a minute, Onesimus? Philemon, Onesimus? Didn't he run away? And by the way, if a slave ran away, do you know what the uh, owner was obligated to do? He was obligated to punish them severely. I mean severely, but they also had the right to take their life. You run away, it could be capital punishment if the owner so declared. So as we read this, this is not just Onesimus going back thinking, oh, everything's going to be fine. He goes back, he never argues, he never disagrees, he, he, he uh, and the story never focuses on uh, Onesimus saying, wait, 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 do you realize what might happen to me? You realize if I go back, what could happen? And I read some of these, this, this here and I go, man, what a change. What a change occurred in this individual. How in the world could a runaway slave be changed so wonderfully? And there's only one answer. Christ Jesus made a difference in his life and makes a difference in anyone's life who trusts. Unto Philemon, back to Philemon 1. Unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved uh, uh, Apiphia and Archippus, our f fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. Grace to you and peace. By the way, Paul is not just writing this to Philemon. You know, he could have sent a secret letter and said, uh, Phil, I, I, I got something I need to tell you privately. He didn't do that. It's, I, I, I want you to, to I, this letter is to Philemon and to Ephia and to Archippus and to the churches in your house. You all read this. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God making mention of thee always in my prayers. You know why Paul prayed? You know why Paul prayed? Because it works. Prayer works. He knew that when he was talking to God, when he was pouring out his heart to God, he knew God was listening, that God answers prayer. Because prayer works. Let me encourage you, in your life, you pray. Don't think you're just beating the air with your gums. Don't think that your prayers are only making it to the ceiling because they're not. Folks, I'm telling you, prayer works. Prayer changes lives. I thank my God making mention of thee always in my prayers. Now he's talking to Philemon. Hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. All saints. You know, there's kind of a little bit of flattery and, and, and psychological working going on here. 
because he's getting ready to, to Philemon. He said, I, I hear about, I, I hear about you, your, your love and your faith that you have toward all saints, and he's about to tell him about one, a new one. Onesimus, your brother in Christ. In Christ, you're neither bond or free. You're one in Christ. I'm about to tell you about your brother in Christ. Hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus Christ and toward all saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Philemon, thank you for the way you communicate that faith. Thank you for how you communicate. And I'm expecting you to communicate this letter and these things that I'm telling you. Philemon, I'm glad the way you treat all saints. I'm glad the way that you, you communicate. Verse 7 says, And we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. I'll paraphrase that. Because the saints are encouraged by you and the things that you tell them, the things that you share with them. What a blessing you are, Philemon. You are a blessing to all the saints. And Onesimus is one. You are an encourager of the saints. Onesimus is going to need your encouragement. It doesn't matter that he once was your slave. He is now your brother in Christ. That's the point that Paul is moving toward. Verse 8. Wherefore, though I may be much bold in Christ to command thee that which is befitting, Yet for love's sake, I'd rather beseech thee, being such and one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus. What Paul is saying here is, Philemon, I'm the apostle of the Gentiles. I have the authority to tell you what to do in this situation. I could command, I could order you by my apostolic authority, I could tell you, here's what you must do. But he says, I don't want to do that. I don't want you to do, this, do that because of my command. I want you to do it because you love God and you love His Word. I'm not going to command you, I'm, I'm beseeching you. Verse 10, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. You know what the word Onesimus means? It means profitable, beneficial. Which in time past was to thee unprofitable. Onesimus means profitable. And Paul plays off on that and he says, which to thee was unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him, that is, just like you would receive me. Receive him just like you would receive me. Wait a minute. I, I own him. He ran away. Under the law, I could severely beat him, torture him, punish him. I could even have him put to death. And you're wanting me to treat him, this guy that's coming, you want me to treat him like I would treat you? Yes. Because he's a brother in Christ. There is no difference in male or female, bond or free, Jew or Gentile. You see how glorious the body of Christ is? You see how glorious the body of Christ changes everything? 
that the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection, when we believe we're taken and placed into the body of Christ, that is the great equalizer. That is the safe place to be. That is how we should desire to identify ourselves as members of the body of Christ. Verse 13, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. Paul is saying, I really, I could have kept him. I needed him here with me. But without your okay, but without thy mind, would I do nothing. And I think this tells us that when a person has made a new creation, look, folks, there needs to be accountability. There needs to be restoration and step up and take on the responsibility of making things right. And that's exactly what was going on here in the book of Philemon. I could have kept Onesimus here. You would have never, maybe never even known but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to send him back because it's the right thing for him to do and it's going to be the right thing for you to do to have a change of attitude toward this individual. See, he'd already told him in Colossians, those that, are, that you're the master of, you treat them just, you treat them equal. Well, that was, that was shocking. That was such a change in attitude that most Greeks and Romans didn't have that attitude. But that's the attitude that the Scriptures commanded those who believe Christ to look at those people that they call their slaves. Treat them with justice. Treat them with mercy. And Paul's saying, you treat an Onesimus just like you would me. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. Boy, Paul is showing this Philemon such respect. You know, I, I want it to be your, your decision. What an opportunity for, for Philemon to have such a remarkable testimony. Because Paul had already said, read this to the church in your house. Uh-oh. Okay, if I have to. There are certain things I'm asking you, not requiring, but I'm asking you to do based on your love for the Lord, your understanding of truth. Verse 15, For perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou should receive him forever. But underline that verse. Keep that verse in mind as we draw a conclusion. Because I'm telling you right now, that has a lot to do with your standing in Christ today. 16. Not now, not now as a servant, but above a servant. A brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. What was the Lord's attitude toward slavery, there you have it, right there. Right there. But not now as a servant. He's no longer your servant. He's your brother in Christ. He's your brother beloved. Boy, what a change must have taken place in Onesimus, and in Philemon. See, the world's attitude is totally different from what God expects those who are in Christ to think like. Totally different. Verse 17. Here we go, folks. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. You can just almost, well, yeah, you can. Hear the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, saying the same thing to God the Father in relationship to us. 
Thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. Verse 18, if he hath wronged thee or owes thee anything, put that on my account. As you read through this, you need to see that Philemon, see him as God the Father, see Paul as God the Son, see Onesimus as you. The one who was unworthy, the one who needed saving. And here is Paul going to Philemon and saying, if this man, if this individual owes you anything, put it on my account. I will pay it. Whatever the price is, I will pay it. So things are made right. That's what Paul is saying. If he hath wronged thee or owes thee anything, put that on my account. And I, Paul, have written it with my own hand. I will repay it. Howbeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thy own self besides. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord, my heart. You know, uh, sometimes I'd read that word in King James, read bowels, and, and you'd see some of the kids would chuckle and go, yeah, bowels. <laughs> uh, but let me ask you a question. Whenever you kind of get stressed and you start having that queasy feeling emotionally, is it your heart? Or you have that gut feeling. I see, I think the seat of the emotions is not in the heart. I think it's in the gut. I think for the scripture to say, people say, well, why didn't, and some translations change it to heart. When it never was, you want to be accurate, keep it at bowels, in the gut. Because that's the seat of emotions. Yea, brother, let me have joy in thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels. Just, that's, just makes me feel good. Having confidence in thy, in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. But withal prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers... I shall be given unto you. He was hoping to be released pretty soon. This is about 62 A.D. He's in prison in Rome. His release is coming up, and he's hoping to be released to Philemon. And he's saying, make lodging for me. There salute thee, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Jesus Christ, Marcus and Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Wow, Paul had just encouraged Philemon to see Onesimus completely different than he did when Onesimus ran away. Something has changed. There is a difference. He is a new creature in Christ Jesus. Receive him as myself. It is amazing. It is amazing how God's word, written some 2,000 plus years ago, answers the questions of what should be our attitude today toward all the social ills, toward all the difficulty, toward all the divisiveness, toward all the garbage that you hear about and see about. God's Word has the answer. Any man be in Christ, he is a new creature all things are passed away. Don't you believe Onesimus said, wow, praise God for that. Hallelujah for that. And not just Onesimus. But I know somebody else that does. 
I know other people who do. You? Aren't you glad that if any man be in Christ or a woman, they're a new creation, new creature? Old things are passed away. All things become new. And as those old things become, all those things become new, you're that new creation. There is no fear. God has taken that fear away. Onesimus, just trusting God as he marched himself back up from Rome all the way to Colossae with this letter, going up to see Philemon, who he knows has the power of life and death. But Paul has said, I'll pay what he owes. I will give what he owes. I'm going to tell you something, folks. The Lord Jesus Christ did the exact same thing for me and for you. And that's how I know with certainty that on the day that I take my final breath and I am ushered into the presence of the Lord, that just like Onesimus, I can walk up and I can stand before him. And not stand before him in who I am as Rick Owsley. But I can stand before him as who I am in him. A new creation. A new... uh, No fear. If somebody... and, And people do this all the time when you're out witnessing or and you've ever had somebody come up and witness to you and they'll say, well, how do you know... Uh, when you get to heaven that, that the Lord's going to say, okay, come on in. Or how do you know you're going to get in? Oh, if the Lord says, on what basis should I let you enter? What are you going to say to him? It's a pretty good question, actually. What are you going to say to him? When you stand before the Lord, and if you had to give an answer, what's your answer going to be? You know what my answer is going to be? I'm just going to point to him. Just going to point to him. Nothing good do I bring, but simply to the cross I claim. When I stand before the Lord Jesus, I owe you. I'm not standing here in my own works, my own goodness. I am a slave to sin. I am a slave. I I am not worthy. But I'm you. You know, people sometimes... They talk about wanting to hear the Lord say, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. And and we all want to hear that when we stand before the Lord. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. And uh, that's, that's scriptural. But I don't think that's what God is going to say to those members of the body of Christ. I think what he says to the body of Christ is this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased because we're in him. We're part of that beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I stand before God the Father perfect and who I am in Christ. A slave by nature, lost and undone by nature and by my relationship to Adam. But God comes along and He changes that completely. When I but believe, He makes me a new creation. I hope this morning that you've been made a new creation. I hope this morning you understand the truth of the gospel and what God is willing and ready to do in your life. Your eternity depends on it.
But not only does your eternity depend on it, I'm convinced that the days of head for us as believers, it's critical that we understand that the answer is in this book. The answer is not in the world. The answer is not embracing such nonsense as critical race theory and some of the other stuff that they're trying to shovel down your throat. But here's where the answer is. There's not a single person in this building that I don't love, that I don't cherish, that I don't consider, that, that, that I, I consider you all equal because of who we are in Christ. And regardless of what the world may be trying to do, believe me, they're trying to divide. They're trying to make enemies. But what God's Word does is He makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. He makes us the family of God. That's what we should rejoice over. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning and how thankful we are that you've made us new creatures. And Father, we stand before you perfect as part of your beloved Son in whom you're well pleased. Father, I rejoice at that truth. And Father, I just pray your blessings now on us as we depart, as we go our separate ways. Father, may we be mindful that we are going into the mission field. Father, may we be faithful as we share the gospel. We thank you for the joy of being able to come here today and worship you, to hear your word preached, to sing praises to your name. Father, thank you. Now, Father, bless us as we go our separate ways. Bring us back next week. Bring us back Wednesday night, ready to dive into your word and study. And it's in Christ. You are dismissed.